welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat, and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 60, and today's episode, We Need to Talk, is all about how we can have meaningful conversations with our children and teens. You know what I mean? Conversations which are two-sided. You learn more than you teach, and you feel a connection. Whether that's talking about those big conversations on sex, boyfriends, how babies happen, confidence, worries, or more day-to-day conversations on kindness, compassion, empathy, friendships, being true to themselves, using their voice, taking on new challenges. In fact, I'd say this second set of conversations are probably more important, more impactful and more character building for our children than those huge, huge bigger conversations. So how do we start these conversations? Well, I have got eight tips for you today. But what I would say is we do not start them with we need to talk. Those four words just fill anybody who hears them with complete fear and dread that they're about to get told off or that it's going to be a conversation about something they're going to feel super uncomfortable with. Just think about sort of conversations that you might have started that way with a partner or a friend or even your children. They're not a great set of four words. So how do we have these conversations? I'm going to talk you through my eight some eight tips that I've got, but also some notes at the end that might be particularly important. So the first one is we need to choose the right time and the right place. Sometimes we have the need to have these conversations and we're not necessarily in the right place, as in physical space, we're not in a private place. And so that we might kind of earmark a conversation with our children. But it's if we want to have a two-sided connected conversation where your child is imparting information to you in a way where they feel that the environment is a trusted environment that they can really connect with you that's just not going to happen if you don't choose the right time and also the right place so we have to be mindful of when the right time might be and Listen out for my notes at the end because there are some really important things. What we think might be the right time may not be the right time and certainly not the right place for our children. So we need to become a little bit more connected, a little bit more aware around when is the right time for my child or my teenager rather than actually this is a convenient gap in my day and this seems like to be the right time. And sometimes that's not even just necessarily the right time of day. It might actually be the right, it's about the right time in of that particular conversation. So for example, having a conversation about sex or boyfriends, having that conversation immediately that you found out that they've got feelings for a particular person may well be a really good time. But it also might not be. It's about reading the situation to find out actually right now, is this the best opportunity to have this conversation with my child or am I better off holding off and having that conversation later? So let's be really mindful. And I can't tell you any hard, fast rules specifically around that. In my notes afterwards, I will certainly tell you some not good times and not good places. But we just need to be mindful that if we really want to have this two-way conversation, we need to choose the right time and and the right place. And my second point is we need to be sensitive to the topic 
and our child or our teen's developmental age. Now, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast religiously, you'll know I talk a lot about this difference between children's chronological age and their developmental age. For those of you who may be listening for the first time or need a bit of a recap, let me just explain because it's super, super important when we're looking at doing anything with our children or in terms of managing expectations or anything like that. Our children have a chronological age. That's the age that they were given by their birthday, the day, the month, the year that they were born. But all children and teenagers develop at different rates and different paces across multiple areas of development. Their social skills, their intellectual skills, their communication, their language, their physical development, their gross motor, their fine motor, their emotional intelligence. There are a whole host of different areas that our children and our teens develop in. So when, we're talk, when I talk about developmental age, this is much more making sure that the topic that I want to have a conversation with my child about is sensitive to where they're at developmentally. So I cannot say to you, you need to be having a conversation with your child about sex by eight years of age. Because actually, different children develop at different stages. You may have a child who is a chronological age of eight, but their developmental age around topics, for example, around sex, may well be that they're a nine or a 10 year old in terms of the level of maturity they have about grasping specific concepts and being able to understand how those relate. So when we want to have some of these conversations, and of course, it depends on what these meaningful conversations are going to be, whether it's around being true to themselves or unkindness, is going to be very different in terms of developmental age to, let's say, boyfriends. We can have conversations with our children around kindness and and being true to themselves when they're really, their developmental age is really young, but necessarily conversations about boyfriends may be different. So we just need to be sensitive that the conversation that we're going to be having with our child, the topic needs to be appropriate for their developmental age. Now, that doesn't mean that we do not talk about sex or boyfriends with children who are younger, five, six, three. We do, but we are mindful that that conversation is an appropriate to their developmental age. And then it's it's this notion, I talk a lot about drip feeding. We don't say we need to talk because that creates this fear and this dread about this monumentally huge conversation that might result in something really bad. Instead, we take opportunity. So it's about being sensitive to the topic and our child's developmental age. So it's choosing the right time and place. It's being sensitive to the topic and our children's developmental age. The third one is, and I know this is this can be really tough, so I'm saying this with love. We need to really listen. And by this I mean we're listening not to be able to offer some answers or a solution, but we should be listening in such a way that we could, I'm not necessarily saying that you should necessarily, it depends on the conversation, your child and the situation, but we should be able to paraphrase back to our child every now and again, what I think I'm hearing is that this matters to you. What I think I'm hearing is that this makes you feel. Whatever that is, that we are listening so well, it's this notion of active listening, listening to understand rather than listening to answer or to respond or to problem solve. It's really sitting there and trying to really connect with how it's 
you know what are what are our children actually saying to us and when i've talked about listening before i'm talking about not just listening with our ears but it's listening with our eyes when our children talk about things does their body language match that are they saying one thing but their body language suggests something else or their facial expressions it's really listening at every single thing that we can hear and see so that we can truly understand so we can say things like i hear you saying this but what i see in your face is something different and having that conversation so it's about trying to listen to understand rather than listening for a solution that's my third tip my fourth tip and it goes back this is the slightly from the other way so when i talk about really listening we're listening to what our children say and we're looking at their body language the fourth one is about communication isn't just what we say it's our facial expressions our tone of voice and our body language so this is for us this isn't about what listening to what it looks like from our child's perspective but communication how do we communicate making sure that we're communicating in a way to our child that they can see that we are actively trying to listen not only with what we're saying but with our facial expressions that our tone of voice is one where we're interested where we're trying to hear and understand where we're trying to acknowledge and understand where they're coming from rather than a tone of voice that might sound like we're making a judgment or that we're lecturing to them and that our body language is an open rather than a defensive body language now i get it some of us naturally do sit with our arms crossed and this isn't about becoming paranoid about how you sit but it is asking yourself if my child if i want to have this two way conversation if i want to have a meaningful conversation where my child feels and my teen feels that I'm here and I really want to listen and I really want to understand how does my communication look to them not only in what I'm saying but am I using the right tone of voice do I sound sincere am I having a facial expression that doesn't look like oh my goodness me I'm so shocked that my child has just told me that they feel that way and is my body language one that is congruent to what i'm saying it's one that fits in with me saying i want to hear i want to understand explain or am i looking like a slightly judgy parent so this is something that we just need to practice it's quite often when we in my view very much around when we communicate to our children is i've talked about this before is i don't i don't think it's helpful to have a dynamic that is i am the parent i am the authority figure i am all powerful all seeing all doing and you are this sort of subservient child and it's this i you do what i say i think those conversations that we should be having with our children need to be much more almost of a slightly sort of adult to adult now it doesn't mean that we're expecting to have adult conversations with our children but it needs to be one where there's a respectful dynamic of being able to communicate at a level where we don't get into a power play and that doesn't mean that we lose authority we lose the ability to make very clear and definitive statements to our children but if we want to have meaningful conversations we have to shift that dynamic to say actually i'm here and i want to listen and everything i'm doing and saying not only with what comes out of my mouth but also in terms of my physical stance is one that encourages a dialogue so let's look at the first four before we go back before we go on to the next four so it's choosing the right time and place pick those moments make sure that you're in the right place 
Be sensitive to the topic and your child's developmental age rather than their chronological age. Really, really listen, not to be able to offer answers and solutions, but to truly understand. And communication isn't just what we say, it's all of the other bits in terms of our facial expressions, our tone, a voice and our body language. Number five, leave judgment at the door. Your job is to meet your child or your teen where they're at. Their world is very different. It's hugely different to the one you grew up in. So don't judge what you have not yet yourself experienced. And I say this with love because there are so many things that in the work that I've done with families that parents hear that causes them great angst, great worry, great shock, possibly disappointment, possibly embarrassment, possible shame, because they don't always take a step back and try and see, okay, I'm trying to see this in the context of the child, of my child and the world that they're currently living and operating in, rather than the world that I lived and operated within. And it has changed monumentally. And the older your children, the further removed you are from the world in which they in which you grew up in, they're growing up in. So it's, we need to make sure that we leave that judgment at the door. Because if we don't, and we often do that with our facial expressions or our tone of voice, then what we do is we close the door. And if we close that door enough times, our children no longer come to us. They won't open up in the same way because they fear that we're going to be judged. We should be the most accepting. Now that does not mean if your child reveals, maybe they've been smoking, Maybe they're taking drugs. Maybe they've had sex. Any of these sort of conversations, or maybe they bullied a child. Maybe they behaved in a way that's atrocious. Maybe they've stolen something. Whatever it is, if we want to keep those communication lines open, we don't want to judge our child on that basis. So we need to make sure that we answer them and we respond to them and we create a space where there is compassion We can be honest with our children. We can say that we're disappointed that they've made that choice. I can tell you they're probably even more disappointed in themselves. And what they need from us is that really, is that listening ear, that compassionate acknowledgement of what they've been through. So let's really try and leave judgment at the door. And sometimes in some families that can be tricky because that can be when you're co-parenting is that maybe one of you finds that quite easy. And the other one doesn't necessarily find that one easy. And that's a separate conversation that you need to have. It's about parenting together and making sure that you kind of create that space. Because the last thing that you want is your child playing you off against each other or feeling that one parent understands and the other doesn't. So it's really making sure that we leave our judgment at the door. And if we're shocked and horrified by something that our child has said, because it goes against the values that we've raised them in, then we need to take a separate moment to deal with how that's showing up for us so that we can show up the right way for our children. But it's also making sure that if the dynamics of growing up in a world where there is technology, where there's information overload, where there is social media, we need to be able to understand what it's like for them and how these things are important for them. Again, it's not about changing the values in which we want to raise our children in, but it is being able to understand truly understand that our children are growing up in a world that is very very different to ourselves so leave that judgment at the door when you're having those conversations number six show empathy not sympathy 
I'm sure you all know the difference, but let's just kind of recap here slightly. Sympathy, in essence, when we talk about emotional intelligence, sympathy is being able to say, oh, oh, that's so awful that that happened to you. So we can sympathize with someone. Of course, it's horrible. Empathy is a whole level up because instead of just saying that must be really awful for you, empathy is when we really place ourselves in that situation and we can almost feel what it must feel like for that individual. We feel their pain. It's as if we step into their shoes and their experience. So when we are having, when we want to have meaningful conversations, when we truly show empathy by stepping into their shoes, going back to leaving the judgment at the door, being able to see things with their eyes, really listening so we can understand how that matters, that particular thing matters to your child, whether that's a friendship issue, they haven't been included in something and, and they felt left out. They weren't invited to a party. Now, as a parent, we often say, well, don't worry. It's just one party. You'll be invited to lots of others. That sympathy must be really bad, but there'll be other opportunities. Empathy is really stepping into how that feels for your child, that they feel they've been the only one excluded, that that makes a statement about their friendships, that they're not valued, that they're not loved, that they're not part of a group, that they've been removed and pushed out, that there'll be lots of conversations happening at school the following day and that they will feel as if they're being alienated from that. That is empathy. So we really want to try and step into that empathy as best we can and we can do that so much more easily when we have really listened when we have really sought to understand what's showing up you know for our child how it's making our child feel and we've left that judgment at the door because we're trying to it's almost that stepping into their shoes so showing empathy rather than sympathy where we can obviously we're not going to get it right all of the time we're human beings we're parents. Parent, there's no such thing as perfection. We're not going to do these eight steps. I don't always do these eight steps. But if we can do them more often than we don't, then we create an environment where our children can come and talk to us. And when we mess up, when we do become judgmental, if we're quick to apologise, if we're quick to recognise that we've made a judgment on something that's important to our child based on our roadmap, on our framework and we go and and we apologize for that, then we bring it back in. So number six is show empathy, not sympathy. Number seven is look out for opportunities to talk and take them. So don't leave it until necessarily that your child is coming to you, but you actively look for opportunities. And sometimes those opportunities will be very fleeting take them even if it's only a small period of time but you're in the right time it is the right place it's a topic that's appropriate to where your child is at then take that opportunity you never know when the next chance might come to connect and it's those small opportunities of connection that make a huge difference because it's it's almost like a you know we get a sort of critical mass and a critical tipping point that if we do this regularly our children then come to us more and more often it's just about having those opportunities to connect about those more day-to-day conversations that I talked about earlier about kindness compassion empathy friendships being true to themselves using their voice putting themselves in situations that make them feel slightly out of their comfort zone so it's actively looking for opportunities so that we can instigate those conversations rather than 
sort of almost waiting for our children to start those conversations with us. Take those opportunities to connect because then when the big conversations come along, our children are much more likely to instigate that with us or we're able to ease into those conversations much, much more easily. And the eighth and the last one is practice regularly. Do this regularly. Practice these different tools and you'll find that it will get easier and easier. It will feel more comfortable. You know, the first few times, well, not even the first few times, actually, I'm lying. The first tens, maybe even hundred times you do it, you're going to be constantly thinking, oh my goodness me, am I listening? Have I paraphrased? Do I really understand? Have I shown empathy? Whatever that might be, of course it's going to be. It's not an easy thing to do, but the more we practice, the better we get at it, which is why it's so important to look for those opportunities. And it may well be that when you look at these, you make a decision, and I'm a big fan of this, taking doing one thing at a time. You may look at these and say, do you know what? Actually, one of the things I'm really not great at is really listening because I'm always trying to give an answer. I can recognize that in myself. I'm going to really, really work on that. Then work on that. And once you've got that nailed or you're feeling much more confident in that, take another. It's not about, and and I hope you've sort of realized that having listened to the podcast often enough, it's not about trying to do too much in one go. I'm a big, big fan of focusing in on one thing. The one thing that you think if you implemented that that would have the biggest impact on everything else. Practice that, work on that, perfect that, and then move on to another one. Because what's key to parenting and harmony at home and conversations with our children and raising resilient, confident kids that don't feel too anxious all of the time is consistency. When we take on too much We go in guns blazing with a new technique that we've listened to on the podcast or we've read in a book and we think, oh my goodness me, this is the panacea. This is going to fix everything. And we go in and because we've taken on too much, we can't be consistent. So we go from one extreme to the next and our children often switch off because it's like, oh, this is the latest thing that my parents are doing and they know that it's going to come and go. It's like a fad. So it is about being consistent. Look for one thing that you can do one thing out of these eight. So the first one is about making sure you choose the right time and the right place. It's being sensitive to the topic and your child's developmental age. It's really listening, not to be able to offer answers or a solution, but being able to paraphrase back, being able to say, I think, am I right in thinking that this is how you're feeling? Am I right in thinking that this is what matters to you? communication isn't just what we say it's all of the other parts it's our facial expressions our tone of voice our body language make sure our communication back to our children and our teens is congruent it's consistent what's coming out of our mouth is consistent with what's going on what our children see in that non-verbal because that massively impacts their ability to want to talk to us we must leave judgment at the door our job is that we need to meet our children where they're at because they're growing up in a different environment than we did. Show empathy, not sympathy. Look out for opportunities to talk and take them and practice regularly. Now, before we finish, these are some really important notes around these conversations. The first one is children rarely want to have meaningful conversations at a convenient time. Yeah, it's usually when you've got multiple arms busy with either a young child or you're cooking something or you've got a bit of work that you need to do you need to get ready to drop everything 
sometimes to make sure you don't lose the opportunity. Not all of the time, but sometimes you need to do that. But children will rarely want to have these conversations at a convenient time. And you'll know with your own children, some children always want to have these conversations just before they go to bed. Some want to have them when you're in the middle of something. There's a reason why they're having those conversations with you then. Get ready to drop things and be ready and available because when they're ready to talk, they're ready to talk. It's not when we're ready to talk. That's the first things. The more our children feel we get them and accept them unconditionally, the more they will talk to us. So we need to make sure that we acknowledge our children and our teens' feelings, even if we don't understand or we don't agree with them specifically ourselves. We need to acknowledge that. The third one is that children rarely want to have a meaningful conversation after school pickup. So stop asking them questions. They feel like they're being interrogated. Now, sorry, I'm, I'm sniggering because I see this so many times and I've been so guilty of it myself. How was your day? Who did you play with? What did you have for lunch? What did you do? Yeah, it, to our children, it's an interrogation. To us, it's like, I'm just interested in your day. I haven't seen you. I want to find out how what's been going on. They don't want to. Now, some children will literally come out of school and will give you a blow-by-blow account fabulous if that's your child then great take the opportunity there but most children that I have either encountered through my work or certainly my own children the last thing they want is to have a meaningful conversation in fact quite often they don't even want to have a conversation and actually if you were like my children it was always what snack have you got for me in the car they want to eat they want some downtime they just need to be So they are rarely going to have that conversation. It goes back to this idea. The first point is that children rarely want to have meaningful conversations at a convenient time for us. They want to have it when they're ready. So don't keep asking them those questions because they're much more likely to shut off. And the last note that I would say is avoid big talks which start with, we need to talk. And instead, maximise opportunities as they present themselves. Yeah, so use chances that you get rather than this great big, oh, I think we need to talk. Or if you're feeling that you need to start the conversation rather than waiting for your child to instigate it, then you might use one of my favourite phrases, which is, I've noticed that. Yeah, I've noticed that. You're showing a real interest in boys at the moment, and I thought it might be a great time to have a conversation about boyfriends. I've noticed that you get really upset every morning before we go to school. Yeah, it's just starting that. I noticed that is a non-confrontational conversation starter that we can use to introduce any specific topic. So take those notes into account. So my give this week is going to be a double give, really, because I think it's really important that we have the eight points. But I also think it's really important that you have these specific notes to remember because there's two bits. So my give will be both of those. There'll be two sheets, the eight checklist and also the specific notes that we need to take into account. And then that way it can serve as a reminder, but also you can work out actually which of these eight skills and strategies do I need to work on specifically for me? Where's my greatest opportunity If I work on that and what will that give me so that you can begin to kind of use that, but also bearing in mind these notes. So as usual, if you head over to my free resource library, drmaryhand.com forward slash library, you'll find the link to download this resource. 
All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other resources across all my other podcast episodes. As ever, I'm going to make a plea for you to review and rate this podcast. I've had some just really heartwarming mind-blowing reviews from you and I'm so so grateful and this is how other parents find the podcast is they find them through reviews because then Apple and Spotify then notify parents who are listening to other podcasts that my podcast might be useful to them so if you if you have enjoyed this episode I would love it if you could follow and review the podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love so until next time (music) 